Everybody doing good this morning? Yeah. Yeah? Good. Only two kinds of people in the world. People who love getting up in, early in the morning and people who hate people who love getting up early in the morning, right? Right? You guys are great. You guys are good. You're alert. Some of you are alert. It's good. Hey, um, I just want to take a second and maybe just talk to you this morning from uh, a bit of a parent perspective. You know, Happy mentioned that we've been here for seven years and uh, the staff here, and particularly those who are in your roles, have done such an incredible job um, with uh, our kids that um, you probably, I know that the ministry that you have, right, it's week to week to week, it's like get through one week and a week and a week and a week, and the relationships that you develop over a week's time are incredibly important uh, to you. But at the end of a summer, you've got this accumulated number of relationships and opportunities that are probably at some point hard to filter through who was what week and those things. But our kids, my kids, I'll say, they don't ever forget your names. Like they know where you go to school. They know the opportunities that you took. And I just want you to know, um, maybe from a, from a parent perspective, how important that is uh, just to me uh, as a dad. I was talking to um, the adults last night just briefly about, um, <clears throat> so if I were to ask you who the most important Christian who ever lived was outside of Jesus, um, I doubt any of you would say Joseph. And I think I could make an argument that the most important Christian who ever lived is a guy named Joseph, who ever walked the planet, and I don't even think it's close. Um, Acts chapter four, the early church has just started. And um, in Acts four, uh, there's this guy right at the end of the chapter whose name is Joseph. And he comes to the leaders of the early church and um, he sells a piece of property and he brings all the proceeds and he lays it at the feet of the leaders of the early church. Now, nobody had ever done anything like this before. Nobody ever, uh, Hebrews never sold property. Property stayed in their family for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. They would never sell property. But for the first time ever, this guy, Joseph, sells a piece of property and he comes and he lays all the money at the disciples' feet. Now, the disciples don't know what to do with this. They don't have a category for it, right? They don't know what to what do they say? And so they're so wild. So this is, when I say the disciples, just, I'm going to be specific. It's, you know, Simon, Peter, James, John, right? I mean, these are the saints, right? They don't know what to do. So here's what they say to him. They say, listen, um, nobody's ever done this before. And this is so amazing that Joseph is not an adequate name for you. So we're going to change your name. So they change his name from Joseph to Barnabas. Barnabas, bar son of the S on the end, the suffix on Joseph is the Greek word for encouragement. So it's, we're changing you. We're not going to call you Joseph anymore. We're going to call you the son of encouragement. And this guy changes forever the face of Christianity. Because you get over to Acts chapter 9, right? Uh, Saul, persecutor of Christians, murderer of Christians, um, strikes fear in the early church on the road to Damascus, struck down. God meets him there. All of a sudden, the church finds out about it. But nobody wants, they think he's, you know, tricking them, right? They think he's setting them up for persecution. So the big deal is, how do we know if Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus is true or not? Well, somebody's got to test it, right? And so they all, the early church, so they're like, they're, I'm sure they had a big meeting about it. And they all looked at each other and like, we don't buy it. Like, he's not telling the truth. He's going to get a bunch of us crucified. Like, it's, it, we know what's going on here. Somebody's got to go test it. So who's, who's gonna go meet with the Christian killer? Who's gonna go meet him? And you know who didn't raise his hand? Simon Peter didn't raise his hand. The apostle John didn't raise his hand. James didn't say, I'll go. You know who said they'll go? Barnabas said, I'll go. 
He risked his life. Not just risked his life, he risked the torture of crucifixion. And he goes and he meets Saul and he feels like it's legit. So he comes back and he tells the early church leaders, he's like, I think it's real. And here's what I'm gonna do. Just to prove it's real, I'm gonna take a trip with him. So you get over into Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. So they start this little missionary team. And whenever you read through the book of Acts, it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, right? When you read about it. And that's not by accident. That means Barnabas is the leader. It's a, a Greek literary form. Barnabas is the leader. Paul is like the apprentice or the helper. And they take these little trips together and they go, great. In Acts chapter, thir- Acts chapter 12, they're headed to Cyprus. Now Cyprus is Barnabas' hometown. It's where Barnabas grew up. So they get their little missionary team together. They add a guy to the team because things are going well. So they bring on a guy named John Mark. All of them, they head out to Cyprus to Barnabas's hometown. And for the first time, it's Barnabas, Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas, Paul. For the first time in Cyprus, in Barnabas's hometown, Saul or Paul, Paul's gifts outpace Barnabas's gifts publicly for the first time. In Barnabas's hometown, and when you finish that, that story in Acts chapter 13, what's amazing is that the team name changes. See, on the marquee, right, coming into, coming into Cyprus, it was like, hey, Barnabas is coming, and there's this guy named Paul and this guy named John Mark. Well, things, went so, you know, things were so tough on the trip that John Mark went home. John Mark quit the team. He went home. So it's Barnabas and Paul. And when they leave Cyprus, the team name changes, And if you read it in Acts chapter 13, it says, Paul and his companions. Like Barnabas's name isn't even on the, like he completely, he he went from being the leader to being just a companion, (laughs) just one of the guys. And I would suggest to you that that was 100% intentional on Barnabas's part. That Barnabas meant for that to happen in his hometown. He meant to say, Paul, you go be the leader. And from there on out, it's Paul and the team, Paul and the team, Paul and the team. Now you get over into um, Acts chapter, I think it's Acts chapter 15. And um, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go take another missionary trip. Let's go visit the churches that we help plant. Barnabas says, great, I'll go get John Mark. We'll put the team together and we'll go. And Paul, this is the apostle Paul. He says to Barnabas, we're not taking John Mark. He's a quitter. (laughs) He quit the team. He deserted us when we needed him the most. We're not taking him. And Barnabas says, wait a minute. Hey, you gotta give the guy a break, right? We're gonna take John Mark. I'll go get him. I'll prep him. He'll be good. And Paul says, we're not taking him. And Barnabas, I'm sure, was like, wait a minute, who came to see you whenever no one believed you were a Christian? Who came to help you, right? It was me. I was, I remember when you were in this spot, I was there for you. We're gonna be there for John Mark. And Paul says, we're not taking John Mark. And so you know what Barnabas does? Barnabas looks at Paul, the apostle Paul. He looks at Paul and he says, listen, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna take Silas. You guys are gonna go take the big missionary trip. And I'm going to get take John Mark, and we're going to take our own little missionary trip. And you guys will go that way, and we'll go this way, and we'll plant more churches. The two of us multiplied out. And that's the last time you ever hear Barnabas' name in the rest of the New Testament. 
That's the last we ever know about him. He takes John Mark. You know where he goes? He goes back to Cyprus, back to his hometown where he knows people, where he knows there'll be opportunities for him to encourage John Mark in developing ministry and heart and love and care. And forever, Barnabas disappears from the face of ministry, the church, church history, as much as we know. And you kind of wonder how to go, right? But actually, we know. Because the last letter that Paul writes in the New Testament is 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says this, Luke alone is with me, but send John Mark to me, for he is useful in ministry. Once again, Barnabas was right. I think you can make the argument that Barnabas is the most influential Christian that's ever lived for this reason. Almost 60% of the New Testament is written by Paul and Mark, the writer of the gospel. That's John Mark, the writer of the gospel of Mark. So the most influential guy in the lives of the two guys who've influenced the majority of the New Testament is a guy that we don't ever even talk about, the son of encouragement. And what is so incredibly, um, such an incredible blessing about what you all do during this week is that you take the opportunities to encourage young people whom probably no one else is taking the time to write a letter at the end of the week and tell them about some characteristic that you see in them that's not their mom, that's not their dad. Tell them how unique they are and how much God has wired them and created them to do something unique and special in the kingdom of God. It's exactly it's exactly what you are doing. And I would, I, would, I would say as much as long as I've been doing ministry that what you're doing is never more necessary or has never been as necessary as it is today. Um, we had our national network of churches meetings uh, a couple of weeks ago and one of the leaders I was listening, they were doing a live uh, podcast and he just dropped a little uh, statement and it sparked something for me, so I went out and did some research about it. So um, he mentioned an article by a guy named David Brooks in The Atlantic. So um, the whole idea was uh, David Brooks wrote this article about what's called social cycle theory or social upheaval theory. So Brooks writes this article and he quotes this guy named Samuel uh, Huntington. So Huntington was a researcher at Harvard uh, back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And so um, what made Huntington's work unique is that um, he did historical research on established societies and cultures. And his, um, his theory was that in established societies and cultures, every 60 to 75 years, there's a social cycle of upheaval. So every 60 to 75 years in an established culture, everything kind of gets flipped on its head. And so here's the amazing thing to me about that. Back in the mid-1980s, late, early 1990s, this guy Huntington, this Harvard researcher, predicted that at some time towards the end of the second decade in the new century, that America's culture would be flipped on its head. Now that's, pretty ama that's a pretty amazing prediction when you think about it. That he was looking at our day today and he predicted that sometime around the end of the second decade, that American society, there would be upheaval. Now, why would he say that? Well, go backwards 60 years in American history. You've got the 1960s, right? 
1960s, you've got the Vietnam War protests were going on. You had um, the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. You had uh, protesting that was going on there. Um, you, had, um, you had the rise of the hippies, right? The young generation that was kind of rather just kind of casting off their parents' norms and saying, hey, we're going to do things a different way. But you had the last uh, global pandemic uh, happened in the 1960s. Uh, history, this is history's name, not my name, but history calls it the Hong Kong flu. Happened, four million people died in that global pandemic worldwide. So think about, um, think about just 1968, right? 1968, uh, politically, uh, Bobby Kennedy uh, was assassinated. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Um, the, uh, well, yeah, the hippies handled the global pandemic. We, yeah, we did social distancing. They did Woodstock. So that was a little bit different. I'll give you that. Uh, but there was that. And, and then a, a million people died in 1968 um, from that global pandemic. Just, that's just that year. So just as much as we think our world's crazy and this has never happened, it actually happened 60 years ago. It was so significant that when um, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, the students at Wheaton, then it was Wheaton College, now it's Wheaton University, the students at Wheaton got together and held a candlelight vigil for Martin Luther King, and a bunch of the donors to Wheaton University wrote letters to the president and said that they wouldn't support Wheaton anymore because they allowed the students to support the racial, the civil rights protests that were going on. So as much as what we're experiencing today we think is unique and it's crazy and it's never happened before, it has. In the middle of all that, what's amazing to me is that there was one guy who was pastor in a small church in California. His name was Chuck. And uh, he says to his daughter, he says, um, who are these hippies? He's like, what is a, what's a hippie? I want to meet one. Can you bring home a hippie? And so... His daughter's like, yeah, she's in college. So she goes out and she brings home a guy to meet her dad. His name is Lonnie Frisbee, surfer, hippie dude. So he and Chuck Smith start talking. Over the course of the next two weeks, Chuck Smith, pastor, leads Lonnie Frisbee to come to know Christ. And you know what Lonnie Frisbee says to Chuck Smith? He's like, listen, I'm telling you, there are hundreds of people like me hundreds of thousands of people just like me who think the way I think who do doing what I'm doing out here in Southern California and Chuck Smith says okay well let's start a Bible study so they start this Bible study um late 19 late 1968 beginning of 19 uh, 60s between 67 68 end of 67 beginning of 68 they start this Bible study and before they know it they have over a thousand hippie surfers on the beach in an outdoor Bible study in Southern California. And this becomes such a movement that, um, and listen, you can check it out, you can Google it sometime. On the, uh, the summer of 1971, the cover of, Jesus was on the cover of Time Magazine in the summer of 1971, and Time recognized what they called the Jesus Revolution that was taking, taking over the country. So think about uh, the movements that we have today. So um, Young Life has its roots in this Jesus uh, revolution, uh, Campus Crusade. Uh, if you know the name Greg Laurie, who's kind of filled that Billy Graham role after Billy Graham passed away with kind of national events, it is, it's um, predicted today that over 20 to 30 million Christians have come out of this Calvary Chapel movement. Calvary Chapel churches are all over the country. They've planted thousands and thousands of churches out of that single movement when one pastor in the middle of social upheaval and social unrest said, 
What's a hippie? So I just want you to know that in the middle of cultural unrest today, in the middle of you are asking the right questions when you say, how can I serve the people that God is bringing to me? These young people that God is bringing across your So in the middle of a culture that was just as divided then, if not even maybe more so than it is today, one, one pastor steps into that and says, okay, we gotta figure out this incredible opportunity that God has given to us. And so I'm guessing in a room uh, this size, there's a lot of varied opinions about what's going on in the world today. There's probably some of you who are more right and there's probably some of you who are more left. There's probably, you probably have a variety of opinions about how things are going, where things are going, what that's gonna look like. I would just encourage you to walk with the Lord faithfully, daily, live in his presence and step into what is an unprecedented opportunity that you'll have that probably won't come again in your lifetime. Certainly was not gonna come again in my lifetime. We have the opportunity to give people hope in the midst of incredible uncertainty and to be sons and daughters of encouragement, no less, no less than what, uh, than what Barnabas was.